one and a half, the podcast where we talk about all things science fiction, horror, fantasy, and pop culture. As always, I'm your host, John Allen, and with me is the heart of the operation... Snyderman, 501 Nick Snyder. Faithful listeners, we lost two giants in the entertainment industry. Multiple Emmy winner Betty White and Oscar winner Sidney Poitier, both in their 90s. So we are talking about both of their careers and legacies today, starting with the first lady of television, Betty White. What an impressive lady Betty White was. She had 24 Emmy nominations. She won eight of them. And she's been on television for eight decades. That's, ins- that's insane. That's amazing. It's amazingly impressive. Uh, she was on Password and a number of other game shows. She was actually earned the title of the first lady of game shows. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where she met her husband, Alan Ludden, who was the love of her life. Uh, she was on the Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, Mama's Family, a regular on the Johnny Carson Show, doing skits with Johnny Carson, famously yeah. playing Jane or Eve or whatever they were doing as this couple was bantering. She was on the Golden Girls. Yep. She was. Uh, she got to host Saturday Night Live after that famous campaign. Mm-hmm. Commercials, just everything you can think of. She rapped with Queen Latifah. I mean, she won a Grammy for uh, re- reading her. Like she, it's just amazing. It's just amazing her career in eight decades. She has had. You're right. It's amazing. She has had an amazing career, and the stuff that she's done, the range that she's had, the vastness of what she has done is is intense. From television to advertising to to game shows to rap, like. The, who has that kind of career? One of the things that made Betty White so beloved and so relevant through all of those eight decades is the fact that she was game to do anything. I think you're right. I do think you're right. Absolutely anything. And so let's just talk about some of the things that she's done. Now, we all know, everybody knows, unless you have lived under a rock, everybody knows that Betty White is a huge animal activist. Yeah. She loves animals. In fact, people are uh, on the internet, they have been sort of trying to do a grassroots campaign, if you will, to make January 17th Betty White Day, which is a day that you might go to your local animal shelter and make a donation or give them goods that can help them look after the animals. There's a number of charities that she was involved with. I don't have a list of them, but donate to those animal charities that she uh, held near and dear to her heart. So let's hope that happens because, Nick, I think that's a fantastic idea. I think it is too. I really do. Everybody, if you're out there listening to us, Please try to remember to make January 17th, which would have been Betty White's 100th birthday, Betty White Day to support your local animal shelters and animal charities. That's not the only thing that Betty White stood up for. She also stood up for race equality. She had three or four shows that were called the Betty White Show after Life with Elizabeth. On one of these shows, Variety Show, she had the dancer by the name of Arthur Duncan. Now, Arthur Duncan appeared on the Lawrence Welk Show. And he was a, a man of color who was a, a, an exceptional dancer. She stood up for him. Here's what happened. When he danced on her show, stations down in the southern states. Now, mind you, this is back in the 1950s. This is before segregation. This is before the Equal Rights Movement. Okay. Mm-hmm. Down in the southern states, they did not respond well to seeing Arthur Duncan dancing on the Betty White show. Yeah. They wanted to see less of him. Really? Betty White's response, <laughs> she responded by giving him more airtime and telling the naysayers that they just had to live with it. That is so Betty. That is that is such a Betty White yeah. move. That's brilliant. Ultimately, though, the ratings did plummet and yeah. the show was canceled. 
However, kudos to her for standing up like that. You know, Nick, I mean, just looking at all the incredible things that she did, and she was so humble about it. Yeah, that was one of the neat things about Betty White is that, like, you can typically tell when somebody has an ego about them. Betty White never really seemed to have that air about her. And you can see that just in her acceptance speeches for the Emmys that she won. Let's talk a little bit about those Emmys. Absolutely. Two of them came from the Mary Tyler Moore show where she played Sue Ann Nivens. Now, the character of Sue Ann Nivens was the happy homemaker. Right. Uh, now, for our younger viewers who may not know what the Mary Tyler Moore show was about, obviously it starred Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. And it was about a young woman, probably in her early 30s, and she's living in Minneapolis, and she gets this job to be a producer of the news on... Uh, I, I forget the, the call letters of the station, but... You know, there she meets uh, Lou Grant and Murray Slaughter and Ted and uh, just a, a wide range of, of characters that uh, Mary had to interact with as a single working girl. Right. So Cloris Leachman was on the show and she played Phyllis, who was the landlady to Mary Tyler Moore. They had a nice little bachelorette apartment. And Cloris Leachman was going to be leaving the show. Uh, I think she was going to do a spinoff um, for the show called Phyllis. And so Betty White was brought in, but Betty White was brought in just to be a guest star. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the first time this has happened, but not the only time that this has happened for Betty White. So she comes in to play Sue Ann Nivens to sort of be this foil and kind of the cause of Phyllis leaving. And uh, everyone loved Betty White so much that she became a cast regular, and she won two Emmys for playing this character of Sue Ann Nivens, who was man-crazy. Really? And she particularly <laughs> was after Lou Grant. And she would always have this banter between her and Murray, played by Kevin McLeod. And it was absolutely hysterical because she was always making jokes about her him being bald. And just the timing that she would have in these lines and deliveries, it's easy to see why she won two Emmys as Sue Ann Nivens for Best Supporting Actress. And that's one of the things about her, is her timing is amazing. Her comedic timing is brilliant. Yeah, and you know what? It's let, Let's talk about her timing for a minute, because it's one of the things I respect with, with her. Not only does she have great timing as an actress, she has great timing as Betty White. Yeah. We're going to play a little clip for you. Uh, it's Betty White on the Conan O'Brien show, and Jason Momoa is on the show. Now, Jason Momoa had happened to be on the cover of Men's Health magazine. And so they, they show the picture of, of Jason Momoa on Men's Health and just listen to Betty White's reaction and the comedic timing that she has. Men's Health in the UK, which, uh, and it's a very, look at that, build arms like this. Oh, Fantastic <laughs> cover. Are you okay, Betty? I'm, I'm getting better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just brilliant. I mean, like, I mean, oh. I know women are thirsty for Momoa, but I mean, she, she, right? she oh, just man. really nailed that sentiment, I think. It, 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 it was funny. Like, that is just so funny. And that's, that's the kind of thing with her. She is incredibly funny. Like, I look at that Snickers ad that she had. That was funny. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about her... Um, not only uh, from Mama's Family, because Mama's Family actually is, came from the Carol Burnett show. Where they yeah. did sketches called The Family. And Betty White played um, Eunice's older sister. Eunice was played by Carol Burnett. So she would play the older sister to to this family. 
And so she had kind of like a guest recurring on Mama's Family with Rue McClanahan, who was playing um, her aunt. Um, But then they got an offer to do the Golden Girls. So they left Mama's Family. So this is where Betty White really starts to shine. I mean, not that she wasn't shining before, but this is what most people know her from. Yep. Is playing Rose Nyland on the Golden Girls. And what was fantastic about the Golden Girls was... Simply the fact that you had B. Arthur, you had Rue McClanahan. Now, they had worked together before on Maud, the other sitcom that starred B. Arthur. And so, of course, Betty White and Rue McClanahan had worked together before. So now you have this nice cohesiveness of these three strong actresses. Right. Four, when you count Estelle Getty. Mm-hmm. But these, these three strong actresses that have this sort of TV history to them. And they're in there, and they're acting as a cohesive unit, and they made the idea of four older women living together, having a life that people don't imagine they're going to have, mm-hmm. playing into their, their second act, in, in, in Sophia's case, her third act, and being sexually active, which right. in the 80s, oh, a little bit racy. One of the things I remember about that show, now I was young when the show was on, and I would really only watch it when my mom was watching it. Because why would a four-year-old want to watch Golden Girls by himself? But one of the things I definitely remember about that show is, one, the chemistry between the four women. And the level of sass that they all brought to the table. And, you know, it's interesting. We've heard this uh, said numerous times in our research of Betty White here. Where they actually, the Golden Girls scripts were actually shorter than most scripts. Because they had to allow for all of the laughs. Particularly when it came to Rose. Really? That's that's interesting. Well, I mean, that makes sense because I'm sure a lot of the stuff was also very off the cuff. Well, it was really hilarious. Again, her timing, the way she delivered things. Could you imagine having to say all of those weird and wonderful comedic things that Rose Nyland had to say? All of those Scandinavian made-up words from St. Olaf and being able to do it with a straight face? (laughs) No, I could not imagine that. I would crack up. Yeah, and I know, like, Betty White, uh, she had fun wherever she went. Yeah. Okay, the, you could tell that she was having fun. She had fun on Password. She had fun on Match Game. She had fun with the Mary Tyler Moore show. I mean, everything to her was just an adventure and having a good time. And sometimes that would get on B. Arthur's nerves because B. Arthur was the stoic, professional person. Mm-hmm. And so the, it famously kind of says that B. Arthur didn't really like Betty White. Well, that's not completely 100% true. She just, you know, she was B. Arthur and Betty White was Betty White. Conflicting personalities, it happens. Yeah. Especially especially in performing. Yeah, but at the end of the day, they do express a love for each other and a love working on the show with each other. And I I tell you, there is just... uh, I couldn't find a clip for it. I really tried, but... Imagine Betty White as Rose saying this to Rue McClanahan as as Blanche. Blanche is, they're talking about their first impressions. Mm-hmm. And Blanche says to Rose, what was your first impression of me? And Betty White as Rose responds, I thought you were a slut and wore too much makeup. <laughs> but I was wrong. You don't wear too much makeup. <laughs> Oh, my God. And it's, it's that kind of writing and that kind of expertise in the delivery of the lines that I can't match, that I couldn't do, that made Betty White so extraordinary. 
she was she was special. She was very special. Yeah. Now she won an, uh, an Emmy for best leading actress for the show, and it was interesting because they actually all the women won an Emmy. All of them won. But it was interesting because you, you look at these Emmy clips and it's like, and for the Golden Girls, B. Arthur, for the Golden Girls, Rue McClanahan, for the Golden Girls, Betty White. So they're in competition with one another to receive these Emmys and well-deserved. That's awesome. Now, the Golden Girls, interestingly enough, is a big hit and still remains a big hit with the gay community. Yeah. yeah. And, and Betty White in an interview said that, um, you know, the, the gay bars would shut down at nine o'clock when Golden Girls came on on Saturday night. They'd watch it, and then they'd turn off the TV, and off they'd go and, and, and continue on with the nightclubbing. That's awesome. So, like, she was a, a great advocate and ally for, for the gay community. She basically, I, I'm paraphrasing here, she basically said, you know, it's none of your business who these people are sleeping with. Why make it your business? Right, right. You know, so, and really, this, the Golden Girls just spoke to everybody. Funny personal story about that. I thought, honestly, uh, watching the Golden Girls, it was it was so much fun because my mom has two sisters. And my grandmother, of course, was alive at the time. So it kind of reminded me of the dynamics between my mom, my aunt, and my grandma. Right. Not to the same extent. But the interesting thing is that my Aunt Lois, I thought, resembled Rue McClanahan. And so we all know what Rue McClanahan's character Blanche is like, mm-hmm. being man-hungry. Uh, well, one day we're watching Golden Girls. My aunt happens to be visiting. And my mom said, oh, your nephew thinks that you look like Blanche. And I thought, oh, my God, my aunt is going to smack me because Blanche is a <clears throat> man-hungry person. <laughs> and my aunt had the best reaction. She said, is that the sexy one? <laughs> and mom said, yes. And my aunt gave me this big hug. She said, oh, thank you so much. That's that is funny, but it's interesting too the the change because they originally wanted Betty White to play Blanche. Well, Bl- Betty White had already played Sue Ann Niven. She had no interest in playing another man-hungry character because she didn't want to get into that typecasting or stereotype. And that's an interesting thing because honestly, if she had got into being typecast, she might not have had the career that she had. That one little turn may have completely derailed what she had especially back then being typecast was not good no no and it's interesting too because b arthur at some point she wanted to leave the golden girl she'd had enough of it and so they did a spin-off show abc bought the rights from nbc right and they made the golden palace golden palace lasted i think two seasons because people they hadn't had enough of the golden girls yet but without b arthur there the dynamic didn't quite work it was still Betty White, Rim Clanahan, and Estelle Getty. Getty was in. Okay. Yeah. And playing their characters and right. playing them well. And what it was, the concept was that they, Blanche had sold the house and they were now running this hotel in Miami. Right. Um, Don Cheadle was in the in there uh, as the manager of the hotel. And Cheech Marin was also in the cast as the uh, hotel chef. That must have been a young Don Cheadle. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was probably when he was starting out. Yeah. But anyway, it's uh, interesting. So really from there, honestly, that probably could have been the end of Betty White's career. Mm -hmm. She did a short-lived sitcom with Bob Newhart. Didn't really go anywhere. I can't even tell you the name of it. 
you know, one just one season. And then we didn't hear too much from her. Yeah, right. she probably had some guest spots here and there and doing things. But then along comes... Now, I'm not sure which came first. I, so I want to say the Snickers ad that you alluded to earlier. Probably, yeah. Along comes the Snickers ad. And we now see Betty White in a very different light. Because remember, she's game for anything. Right. So she does this commercial, the Super Bowl commercial Snickers ad, which Snickers just hit gold with that. In this ad also was Abe Bogota from Barney Miller and Fish. Yep. And that famous scene where she's playing football with these guys, and this is the you're not yourself when you're hungry, that Snickers was able to kick off and do with so many different celebrities. Right. And like it, they're, they're so funny, but that first one with Betty White. When, oh, my oh. God. That moment when she gets tackled, and then they all huddle, and they say to her, you're playing like Betty White out there. And she says, that's not what your girlfriend said. That kills me. That and absolutely kills me. The beauty of that ad, though, <laughs> is that not only was it a hit for Snickers to be able to continue on with that type of advertising, and they they had, like, so many different celebrities doing it. Yep. Um, but it was also a resurgence for Betty White. So now we start to see Betty White transforming almost if you will from the actress the, the tremendous actress that she was the gifted comedic actress into betty white the iconic personality right 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 and it's really cool because she reaches a level of performer personality that so many actors and musicians and whatever dream of but could never ever attain no, absolutely. And this is where she now starts picking up a new audience and she becomes generational. Right. Because people see this saucy, sassy grandma and then memes start being created and all of a sudden she becomes uh, in her 80s. She was in her 80s at the time. She becomes an it girl. Yeah. A Hollywood it girl. She's getting offers for movies like Hard Rain. She, and she did that. She says she did that to work with Morgan Freeman and the the cash. Right. Um, Lake Placid. Oh my God. The proposal. I love Lake Placid. The proposal with Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. Mm -hmm. And Ryan Reynolds just adored her. Yeah. I and I couldn't blame him for that. When 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 she passed away on uh, on New Year's Eve, he put out a huge heartfelt tweet about it because clearly they had a good relationship. They were friends and he was clearly hurt by it. But looking at all of that stuff, like, she really appealed to a modern... Like, I, I don't know how she did it. I really don't get it. It was just one of those things. It was lightning in a bottle. She really appealed to all generations. Because she was game for everything and she stayed relevant. Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough, I would think, to riff with Ryan Reynolds. But Betty White could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Yeah. And you can see that. Uh, just look it up on, on YouTube. You can see that um, in Funnier Die sketch where they do doing the proposal. And Betty White, of course, is sweet. Everybody loves her. And then Ryan Reynolds takes the idea that maybe she's not so sweet. And she's nice to everybody but him. And he's the only <laughs> one who sees it. I Oh, my God. That... And it's just 
absolutely hysterical. We'll put up a link to uh, to, to that sketch yep. uh, that you can follow on the show. But now, I, so now she's now into her third act. Mm-hmm. After she's done these movies and she's beloved, she's already beloved, but she just puts the cherry on top of the Sunday with Hot in Cleveland. Oh my God, Hot in Cleveland. Okay, so a little bit about Hot in Cleveland with me. I just started watching it. I'd never watched Hot in Cleveland before because honestly, it, the idea of it never really appealed to me. But, you know, Betty White died. I decided to try Hot in Cleveland and oh my God. God, it is bitingly funny. She is hilarious. You know what's great about Hot in Cleveland? Betty White has said this. The great thing about Hot in Cleveland is it's kind of a reimagining of the Golden Girls in a way. Only this time she gets to play Sophia. Right. Yeah, that's that's really true because it, the the idea, like, okay, Betty White is the crown jewel of this show. Like, I like Wendy Malick. I've seen her on a lot of different sitcoms. I think she's really funny. I like Valerie Bertinelli. I like um, Jane Levy. They're fine. They're great. But Betty White really, really brings the relationship and the chemistry together and gives them... The thing I like about it is that all three all three women, of like Wendy Malick, Valerie Bertinelli, and Jane Levy, they all have a vastly different relationship with Betty White's... Uh, I believe her name's Oscar. Elka. Elka, thank you. Um... Jane Levy, though, is my favorite because they're completely antagonistic towards each other. And, like, the first time they meet each other, where Betty White says that she had to run away from the Nazis, and Jane Levy's character is like, what are you, 100? And she's like, I don't like you. I don't like you. (laughs) And that, uh, and I just said, just the way she delivers it, I die. we have a clip from Hot in Cleveland. We're going to play, first of all, the way that the scene was supposed to go. And if you're a fan of Hot in Cleveland... This is the bender over scene. So we're, we're going to play uh, the way the scene is supposed to go, and then we're going to play you some bloopers. Oh, my God. I signed up when my bender was over. In fact, that's my screen name, Bender Over. So, so that shows you what great timing Betty White has with scripts, okay? Oh now, now <laughs> this, this next clip, she... Has a hard time getting there because she's having so much fun and it's just a joy listening to her crack herself up. In fact, that's my screen name. Bender over. <laughs> I signed up when my bender was over. <laughs> I signed up when my bender was over. From your line. From mine? Oh. I signed up when my. <laughs> I signed up when my. <laughs> no, please, forgive me, please. Oh man, who <laughs> just doesn't love Betty White? I mean, she's like your your sassy grandma who just says the f word at Thanksgiving dinner for no particular reason, and everybody cracks up. You know, and and that's exactly it. Like. Going back to Late Placid for just a moment, the scene where she says, I believe she's, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact quote, but when she says, I hope the alligator eats Oh, yeah, yeah, I hope the crocodile uh, eats your friend. No, um, I hope the crocodile swallows your friends. No, I'm (laughs) I know this, I know this, I do know this. I'm rooting for the crocodile, I hope he swallows your friends whole. Awesome. (laughs) I love that part. And she, okay, Lake Placid is... It, to me, it's a good creature feature film, right? And the thing I really appreciate between 
Betty White and Oliver Platt, they 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 don't keep the movie serious. It doesn't is not played up fully seriously. A lot of it's played up for laughs. And Betty White just adds so much to that. No matter what she's in, she just naturally steals the scene because she is the master of timing. She is a master at humor. She's a master at delivery. And she's a master at the subtle facial expressions. Yeah, and like that's like, okay, so, and again, going back to Haunt in Cleveland, I started that um, the other night and I got about halfway through season one in, a, in just a few hours because I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop watching it. It was so funny. And it, the thing I really appreciate it is that it's really, really casual viewing as well. So I can kind of be doing other stuff while I'm doing it. But all the scenes that include Betty White, she is the center of attention. She is the scene stealer. And she is utterly brilliant. And, you know, the, this is the thing I mentioned with the Mary Tyler Moore show. It was supposed to be a guest spot. Same with Hot in Cleveland. Right. She was only supposed to be in the pilot episode. But she rated so well and so high that they went, you know what, this is magic and we have to have her. And so they let Elka become uh, a regular cast member. And, you know, it's funny because Valerie Bertinelli said, she goes, yeah, no, it's Betty White's show. Well, and that's the thing. I don't think the show would have succeeded without Betty White. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know. And it has nothing to do with the talent of no, the other actresses at all. But I think that it needed that spice and they were right to do it. And the beauty of this is that Betty White was able to use this show to reunite herself with the cast of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mary Tyler Moore made two appearances, and then uh, one as Elka gets thrown in prison, and there's, <laughs> there's Mary Tyler Moore in prison with her, and then she does the whole cast. You had um, uh, just all of the actresses that were in the Mary Tyler Moore show came, and they sat, and they have this nice dinner with Betty White, and they're just reminiscing about their characters in hot in Cleveland growing up and having this wonderful time. And what a heart felt moment that was because shortly after that, the cast begins to pass away. Oh. Well, we know that Valerie Harper had been ill. She had um, been fighting cancer for quite some time. So it was yeah. shortly after that, that she passed away. And then later on, uh, Mary Tyler Moore herself passed away and then Georgia Engvall passed away, and then Cloris Leachman passed away, and Betty White was almost 100 years old. Yeah, and it, it's, it was sad, but, you know, at the end of the day, she had a damn good run. Yeah, so you know what? I'm going to just talk a little bit about her relationship with Alan Ludden. Um, love of her life. She never married again after he passed away. They met on Password, and he would always propose to her, and he had a ring, and he gave it to her, and he said, you might as well keep it because you know you're going to say yes. And, you know, Betty kept that ring for about a year, and she has said that she wished she had said yes and had that year with him because their time together was relatively short compared mm -hmm. to other married couples. But what a wonderful Hollywood romance that they were. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really nice little story. Now, I like that. Nick, I want to tell you something. Um, you've heard me say this before. I and listeners, this is this is no no slam. I'm 52 years old. So my favorite joke that I used to like to say was, 
<laughs> talking about cougars, at my age, a cougar's Betty White. <laughs> I, oh. I got to find somebody new now, but I adored Betty White. I do not remember a time in my life when Betty White was not there, was not on TV, was not making us laugh. And I don't know what it is, Nick, but there's something about a 99-year-old woman about this classic television actress who was almost officially 100 years old, and it still seems like she left us too soon. It really does. And that sucks. Like, we thought she'd live forever. We wanted her to live forever. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of, um, it's kind of nice that a lot of people turn New Year's Eve into saluting Betty White. There was a lot of people that you could see on the internet. They were saying, you know what? I'm going to raise a glass to Betty White. Oh, we're watching the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Oh, we're watching the Golden Girls. Oh, I, I, even on my Friday Night Fright Flicks, I popped in Lake Placid. Yeah. You know, because and, and that was New Year's Eve. It, it, I was going to show the Poseidon Adventure instead because that happens on New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. But I went, no, I've got this, this uh, horror comedy here with Betty White. I'm popping that in, making that my Friday Night Fright Flick. She was just adored by so many, and the world was better off. And I, I have to say this before we move on to Sidney Poitier. I don't think that we should be sad that she's gone. I think that we should rejoice that we had her so long. Oh, you are so right on that. And that's... Think of all the beloved actors and actresses out there that we had. We never had one for as long as we had Betty White. Oh, yeah. The, the only one I can think of that lasted maybe as long as as Betty White was maybe George Burns. I might be wrong on no, that. No, George Burns lived to be 100, uh, okay. absolutely. But he he wasn't in the spotlight all the time. No, no, you know? he wasn't. He wasn't. Um, and, and even when you look at the uh, Facebook campaign that got her hosting Saturday Night Live, I watched that Saturday Night Live. It is one of the best Saturday Night Lives, bar none. Yeah, and then she came back for the 40th anniversary as well and got to kiss Bradley Cooper. Yeah, and I loved her opening monologue, too, where she said, I really have to thank Facebook. I didn't even know what Facebook was. And now that I do, I have to say, it seems like a huge waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that is so funny. You know, I don't think we've ever laughed so much on one of these podcasts yet. <laughs> as we're recording this, I'm watching the spikes go up and down. It's hilarious. Uh, okay, Deservedly so, deservedly so. So, faithful listeners, please join Nick and I as we raise a snicker bar to Betty White. Thank you, Betty. Thank you for being a friend. So, Nick, this entire podcast was going to be dedicated to Betty White. Yeah, it sure was. And then we got hit by another one. Yeah. Now, we had planned to do a tribute to Betty White anyway. We were going to do it... Uh, around the January 17th podcast. Yeah. Didn't expect her to pass away, so we just bumped it up. But we didn't expect to hear the news that Oscar-winning actor and activist and groundbreaking actor Sidney Poitier passed away at the age of 94. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that one either. That just kind of came out of nowhere. And the interesting thing about him, the interesting thing, is that he only really has a handful of movies, but my God. God, what powerful movies they are. Right. Right. And I, I remember when I was a teenager, I went through what I call my film renaissance, where I just went to Blockbuster or I watched movies on Sh Showcase, uh, which is a television network here in Canada. And I watched all these old classic films with 
Sidney Poitier with Marlon Brando or foreign films or whatever. And I remember seeing In the Heat of the Night. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little later on. Okay, all right, all right. So, uh, Sidney Poitier, let's, let's give a little better background. So, he was born in the Bahamas. Okay. And he uh, refers to a place that he lived called Cat Island. I don't know why it's called Cat Island. Maybe there's a ton of cats there. I don't know. But there was only two white people that lived on the island. So Sidney Poitier was used to dignity. He was used to uh, hard work. He was used to equality. Right. He speaks in his book, The Measure of a Man, uh, about how his mother worked really, really hard gathering stones. Some of them would be 50, 60 pounds. And she would break these stones down into smaller stones. And she would break those smaller stones into gravel. And the gravel would be sold. But not just the hard work. She also said to him, always say thank you and please. And Sidney Poitier had said that more doors are opened. More opportunities happen by simply saying thank you and please. The power of those two words. Now, you want to talk about power. The power of Sidney Poitier's voice alone. Oh, I know. I know. And it's not just the power. There's an elegance behind his voice. He's an elegant speaker. He's a lot more elegant than than some of the other actors you hear him with. And more than elegant, there's dignity. Yeah. And that is a trait that he tried to play in all of his movies. Now, surprisingly, he only won one Oscar. And that was for Lilies of the Field. Beautiful movie. Fantastic movie. Huh. Okay. And it's the first time that a man of color won Best Actor. The nominees for the Best Performance by an Actor are Albert Finney and Tom Jones. Richard Harris in This Sporting Life. Rex Harrison in Cleopatra. Paul Newman in Hub. Sidney Poitier in Lilies of the Field. The winner is Sidney Poitier in Lilies of the Field. Because it is a long journey to this moment, I am naturally indebted to countless numbers of people, principally among whom are Ralph Nelson, James Poe, William Barrett, Martin Baum, and of course, the members of the Academy. For all of them, all I can say is a very special thank you. Yeah, that one I knew. That one I knew. I knew he I knew he was the first man of color to win an Oscar. I didn't realize it was for Lilies of the Field. I honestly thought it was for In the Heat of the Night. But... I honestly would have thought it would have been In the Heat of the Night as well. Yeah. Surprisingly, he wasn't nominated. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. I found that really surprising. I'm now, on, the, on that same note, though, Rod Steiger was nominated for Best Actor and won for In the Heat of the Night, deservedly so, not taking anything away from Rod Steiger. I'm just surprised Sidney Poitier was also not nominated for that movie. Yeah. Especially when you have the most famous line he ever delivered, Nick, and the way he delivered it. Let's give it a listen. You're pretty sure of yourself, ain't you, Virgil? Virgil, that's a funny name for a boy that comes from Philadelphia. What do they call you up there? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Just the gravitas and the power of that movie in the heat of the night 
with Sidney Poitier as Mr. Tibbs. Virgil Tibbs is astounding. It is a film that needs to be preserved, that has been preserved, that needs to be seen by everybody. I agree with that. It is His performance is captivating. All of his performances well, yeah, are captivating. Yeah, and yeah. I think that that speaks to the fact that he saw all this injustice when he came to America. Mm-hmm. And so he built his career playing these proud black men with dignity and with a cause, with a purpose, with something to prove not only to the world but to themselves. And to he, and to he, show that equality, right? And he was doing he was doing it at a time when nobody else really was. And he was actually the highest paid actor in Hollywood at that time. Oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. That's, that, that's something I didn't know. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the Oscars, shall we? Sure. So he wins for uh, Lilies of the Field, deservedly so. Right. Again, one of those struggling stories. It's it is. Uh, it's not really black against white, but it's pride against pride. Right. You know, you have the mother superior uh, who is white, of course, and they are looking for help from God to build their church. And along comes uh, the Sidney Poitier character, who is a drifter, and he's not going to stay. But they always find ways of making him stay and doing the work. Right. And then his pride gets the better of him because he says, no, I'm going to build this chapel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to build it myself. But then we see that humbling later on where he does accept help from others to, to build the chapel. Right. So, again, it, it's it's about pride. Now, he wins the Oscar. He is the first black man to win a Best Actor Oscar. Right. Nick, it would be 38 years before another black man would win Best actor, and, and that, that was that was in two thousand and two, and that was Denzel Washington yeah. for Training Day. Denzel Washington had won uh, Best Supporting Actor for Glory. Right, both deserved, both deserved. Love Denzel Washington. That would be twenty six years after Sidney Poitier's win for Lilies of the Field. That night, though, that night, not only does Denzel Washington become the first black actor to win best actor in a leading role since Sidney Poitier, Mm -hmm. Halle Berry becomes the first black actress to win since... No, to win actress in a leading role. Oh, right. Very first. Hattie McDaniel had won best supporting actress before. Best supporting, yeah. But she was the very first black actress to win in a leading role. So, So both of them win these Oscars. On the same night mm-hmm. that Sidney Poitier is there receiving an honorary Oscar for his body of work. Wow. That, that, that's a huge thing. That's to me, insane. that is the most powerful night in Oscar history. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It and is, that, it, like, the, Oscar, the Oscars have had some huge moments, but that that is up there. That is one of the biggest. It's... It's life-changing. It's inspiring because now you have this segment of the population that can look at that and say, we can achieve anything. Right. And to that point, Sidney Poitier influenced so many people who went on to achieve. Mm -hmm. He influenced people like Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. Right. He influenced Denzel Washington. He influenced President Barack Obama, who gave him a Medal of Honor. 
Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Um, let's talk about Denzel for a second there. You you can see the direct influence that Poitier has on Denzel because Denzel again he he has not the same delivery, but it's a very similar delivery where he's he's elegant in the way he talks. Where when of course the part requires it or allows for it, and he's very he's got that same power behind him that Poitier has. You can tell that he he learned... I wouldn't say that he learned directly from Poitier because I know that's not the case, but I would say that he probably studied Poitier growing up. He was probably his hero. Yeah, probably. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're just guessing. We don't know. We yeah, don't know okay. Denzel Washington. Don't come for us. But, <laughs> but, the, the, but you can see that influence. You yeah, can you can. see that. And why not? Why yeah. not? Why not be mentored by the best? Sidney Poitier was one of my grandmother's favorite actors. He's a brilliant actor. She loved Sidney Poitier as much as she loved Paul Newman. <laughs> you know, they were just... It, I actually had to take her to the movies. She insisted I take her to see Shoot to Kill. <laughs> she was... She, she insisted. I had to take her to see that. And the other movie I had to take her to see was Sneakers. Sneakers. That's one with Dan Aykroyd, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. That's got a huge cast in it, including Robert Redford. It's just a marvelous movie. She loved Sidney Poitier. She couldn't get enough of him. And as I mentioned before, um, with In the Heat and the Night, I, I watched that when I was a teenager. I've watched it a few times, and it is, it's such a powerful film. But if you think about all of the themes that are in there, the, the theme of the struggling black man. Yeah, I mean, he started in Blackboard Jungle with Glenn Ford. His star just continued to rise from there. Again, he only did a handful of movies. I think there's like maybe 10 or 12 movies that Sidney Poitier starred in. But you can't go wrong with a single one of them. It is a master class in acting, and it is a privilege to watch him perform. Oh, 100%. 100%. Now, John, uh, as far as it goes, I actually haven't seen Lilies of the Field. So I'm actually really, really interested in going and locating that film so I can see his Oscar-winning performance. Have you seen To Sir With Love? I, I I think so. I I haven't seen it as much as his other films, but I, uh, I think again, it was one of those movies that yeah, I saw. Just an outstanding film. Like I said, no matter what Sidney Poitier film you, you want to pick up, you are going to be in for a treat. Yeah, yeah. Now, John, um, just as we're recording this, some news just came in. And it is sad news, and it's kind of weird that we're doing this show and we get this news. Nick? Bob Saget, the loving dad from Full House, has passed away at the age of 65. And this literally just came in, and I am I'm beside myself because that Full House was a huge part of my childhood. I loved that sitcom. Yeah. And, and then, of course, after Full House, he went on to be the original host of America's Funniest Videos, which is still going strong. Yeah, yep, he did that. He was also the voice of the father in How I Met Your Mother. And he did some movies like Half Baked, and he's also got his stand-up routine, which which was <laughs> really Very really different from his role as the patriarch of Full House. And you know, like that's something. Like I remember the first time I saw one of his stand-up bits, and just com- being completely shocked, thinking this is Danny Tanner. Like just some of the stuff he he said, some of the stuff he got away with saying, like some of the stuff about the Olsen twins. I'm like, oh my god, how is he saying this? But going back to Full House, I I loved Full House. It was on. It started 
um, when I was a kid, when I moved here to Canada, it was on TV, it was on ABC, and I fell in love with it because it was easy to relate to because it had kid characters in it. And it had the, the relationship between Danny and Uncle Jesse and I'm blanking on Dave Collier's character right now, but the, the those three men worked so well together, and I loved I loved their connection in the, in the TV show. And it, it's sad, and you know it, it sucks. It's really sad because I mean, like you said, even though Betty White was 99 years old, almost 100, it felt like she left us too soon. Yeah, Sidney Poitier was 94. Again, kind of feels like left too soon. Bob Saget definitely left us too soon. 65. Like, that's not uh, an age that you typically think someone's just going to pass away from. Yeah, and no, like, that's... I, I guess with with Betty White, with with Sidney Poitier, it doesn't come as much of a shock because they were that much older. But Bob Saget's only 65. Well, and it's, it's a shock to us right now because we can't stop and, and look up information because we're right in the middle of broadcasting yeah. this. Yeah, we'll, t- um, we'll probably put a post out about it later, but... Yeah, rest in peace, Bob Saget. Yeah, rest in peace, all three of them. Rest in peace, Betty White. Rest, rest in peace, Sidney Poitier. And rest in peace, Bob Saget. No yeah. easy way to do this, Nick. Time for our roundup. All right, so let's get into the roundup. So we're just going to talk about the last couple of weeks of what's happened in pop culture. I have a bit of a list this time, so longer list. Um, so first and foremost, I want to bring up the announcement slash rumors of Mario Kart 9. Now, I love the Mario Kart series. It's it's a fun series where you can just sit down with your buddies and just play a racing game. Now, Mario Kart 9, one of the one of the big things about it is they're saying it's going to be with a new twist. Now, twists with the Mario Kart series are kind of cu- touch and go. Sometimes they add something like the dirt bikes, which really adds to the game. And sometimes they add something stupid and gimmicky like Double Dash, where you can play as two characters at once and switch with them. I'm hoping that this is a a good twist. Like I, personally, I would love to see like aquatic vehicles or something like that, something new, something something kind of wild. But we'll see what happens. Now, moving on, we there, there was talk this week of the DC EU, which is essentially the DC Cinematic Universe, essentially coming to an end as we know it, coming to an end. So the rumor is that the Flash movie is going to reset everything. And to kind of con- further compound that, Ben Affleck has, has confirmed that he is out as Batman. His experience on Justice League was with Joss Whedon was so bad. He doesn't want to touch Batman again. Um, and I, I can understand that. I can understand that. When you have a bad experience doing a movie, and Ben Affleck has a reputation for being kind of touchy as well. When you're that type of actor, why would you want to get into a situation where you where it's going to possibly be negative again? I think that's too bad because I actually think he did a good yeah, job. Yeah, I, I do too. I think he was a good Batman. Now, in saying that, we're going to have Michael Keaton back as Batman. We're actually going to have Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton in The Flash as their respective Batmans. Now, are ba- is it Batmans or Batman? Anyway, uh, to further go with that, Michael Keaton will be returning for the Batgirl movie that's going to be coming out as well, which is really, really cool. Now, another thing is, if you are a fan of Scott Pilgrim, Netflix and UCP 
uh, an anime production company, are working on a Scott Pilgrim anime, and I am I am so down for that, John. Like I am really looking forward to that. Um, now, J- John, you've seen the trailers for the new Pixar movie Red, where the girl turns into yes. the red panda, yes. right? So that one is being so that one's no longer getting a theatrical release. Understandable with everything that's going on with Omicron. Uh, it's now going straight to Disney Plus. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. It looks like a good movie. Yeah, that's the one that's set in Toronto, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's that's so cool. It's kind of I, a shame that it can't get the theatrical release. Yeah, I really wanted to see it in the theater. Yeah. But there's nothing quite like that experience of seeing being there in the big screen in the dark with the popcorn and the surround sound and all of that. Now, I know people will argue that they can get that at home. It's not the same experience. It just isn't. You do not have a screen like that in your home. Right. And it, 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 it really is a shame because I wanted to see it in theater, but... You know, and a lot of to... these movies are meant to be seen that way. They are shot that way so that you can get that experience. So the sooner we can get back into theaters, the better as far as I'm concerned. 100%. 100%. Now, one last, one last thing to note. Uh, Picard. The new season of Picard has been pushed back. They've had a whole bunch of corona outbreaks on set. So that'll push season two back a little bit. I, I'm looking forward to it because Q's in it, and we know Whoopi Goldberg's going to be back as Guinan. But we're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. Now, from a futuristic galaxy close to home to a galaxy far, far away, we got to talk about the book of Boba Fett. If you don't like the book of Boba Fett, a certain friend of ours, you watched it wrong. <laughs> Um, so we're going to talk about the first two episodes and oh my good Lord. So let's, let's talk about first off episode one. Okay. Let's talk about that, Nick, because you know, I am old school. I'm 52 years old. I'm not bragging about that. I wish I was younger. I'm not. Life goes on. What (laughs) has bothered me for a good 38 years as a child when I sat there watching Return of the Jedi and I watched Boba Fett get hit in the back and go sailing into the Sarlacc pit, I thought to myself then, Boba Fett could get out of this. Right? He has a jetpack. He can get out of this. And nothing was ever done. And it didn't obsessively bother me, faithful listeners, but it bothered me. Those of you who are my age might have that same feeling. So for me, watching Boba Fett crawl out of that Sarlacc pit is redemption. It is closure. I loved it. For that reason alone, I loved the first episode. And the thing that's really great about these first two episodes is that they have taken Boba Fett and made him into the character that we all wanted him and needed him to be he is this amazing in the mandalorian he says i'm a simple man just trying to make my way in the galaxy like my father before me and that is incredibly incredibly prevalent with this series because he's trying to carve out a place for himself he's been out of commission for a few years now and he doesn't want to be a bounty hunter anymore and you know watching an anti-hero as the lead is very interesting. Oh, before we go any further, this is going to be spoiler heavy. So, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. 
Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We see at this, the start of the first episode that he crawls out of the of the uh, of the Sarlacc pit, and then he's accosted by a bunch of Jawas, and they take his stuff. He's left. As Jawas are wont to do. <laughs> oh, Jawas are jerks. Anyway, he's left to his own devices in the deserts of Tatooine, and he's basically they leave him to die because they're like, "Well, what are you going to do? We got your armor, we got your guns. You can't do anything." Which is why I imagine the Jawas, the Jawaese language translate to translates to in that situation. But anyway, he's left the, he's left in the desert. He is on the brink of death, and he's captured by sand people, Tuscan raiders. Tuscan yeah. raiders, yeah. And he's kept as a prisoner, and then he saves some of them from this really cool monster that I have never actually seen before. Um, doesn't appear to be from any other Star Wars media. I, it was so cool. And it really harkened back. One of the things I like about it is it really kind of harkened back to the, the style of Ray Harryhausen films. Okay, yeah. 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 But well, with better special effects. Well, 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 well not, not with claymation, but just the look of it. It kind of looked like the Kraken, or it kind of looked like even some of the old school 1950s. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, I, it was really, it was a really cool thing to see. I really enjoyed that, and it was cool to see a, a, a new monster that was introduced. I like that. I love the, I love expanding the ever expanding Star Wars universe. I like seeing new stuff. Um, so he's he's accepted into the uh, into the fold. Now, in in the current timeline, we get to see how he's dealing as the new uh, the new. Daimagio, I guess is the word, of Jabba's palace. Um, and you have these different characters from the surrounding cities coming in and offering him tribute until we get this one Twi'lek guy who's like, yeah, the mayor is not offering anything. You should be offering him something. And that guy is just, oh, he's such a jerk. Well, he's playing the political game. Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. he's smarmy and he takes it in there where you just kind of want to root for it. And this is this is one of those things that is so difficult to do in scripting where you make the anti-hero the hero. Yeah. You know, because let's face it, Boba Fett's a bounty hunter. He's not a good guy. He has not been set up to be a good guy. Yeah. He, he is our protagonist. And that's the thing is they are setting him up when you look at Boba Fett through, throughout the movies, when you look at him throughout the comic books and the books, he is a character that very much is a bounty hunter. He does. He's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He just does. He, his his boss is whoever's paying him, and that is it. And that is very clear. Now in this, you can see that he's trying to get away from that because one of the things that he does do is he he doesn't kill. This the, the the mayor's assistant, which he's uh, trying to play a political game now. He's trying to be a Godfather like character. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Shannon says, you know, that shows weakness, and Boba Fett's like, okay, um, if so you, you say so. <laughs> sure, basically. Now going in, and we see him go into Mos Espa, and he he pays a visit to the local casino, and it's really cool seeing Jennifer Beals as a tweet. Like, I love that. Uh, but oh man, seeing all. Of this, all of the Star Warsiness of this episode, just all the creatures and all the droids, you know, and, and, and that speaks to um, the, the gentleman John Favreau and David Filoni. 
who are in charge of this because one, you can tell they're fans. Yeah. Two, you can tell that they have done their research. And three, they are bringing the right aesthetic to this. You and I were talking about this being second episode feels a bit like Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that because it's great. And I made the the comment because somebody had done this where they they did they did this with the Mandalorian, where they took snippets from the Mandalorian and they gave it a spaghetti western grindhouse kind of uh, trailer. Right. And that's the feel that we have with yeah. The Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Yeah. These these are, are westerns. And it's great to have that feeling in the Star Wars universe. It really is. It really is. And the going into the second episode, it has so many different... You can see the different influences on this episode. When we when we catch up with Boba Fett, he, he goes to... He's, they count an assassin in the last episode and they're, they're grilling him and he... He winds up telling them that the mayor sent him, right? So they go to pay the mayor a visit. And again, there's more There's more world building. We get to see a couple of new huts. We get to see Black Kratan from the from the comic books, which was so cool. That that Wookiee bounty hunter character. Amazing looking. The oh, stink eye that he gave Boba Fett. Oh, he... And here, here we have it. We have our first Chekhov's gun. In Book of Boba Fett, because if there is not a fight between Black Kurtan and somebody, I am going to be severely oh, disappointed. Oh, you know there's going to be. You know there's going to be. And you know, it's funny. Speaking of the Wookiee connection, you're going to laugh at me. The first time we ever met Boba Fett was the holiday special. Right. Yeah, that is 100% true. Tr- and the best part about that holiday well, yeah. special was that animated segment with Boba Fett. You mean the only good part of it <laughs> special. Okay, moving on. Um, so we got Blacker Time. We got the Hut Twins. Now, going back to John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Now, John Favreau obviously loves Star Wars. He, he, is, he is crafting a tale that is not relying on the Jedi, both with The Mandalorian and with Book of Boba Fett. Having Robert Rodriguez... Uh, involved with Book of Boba Fett gives it a little bit something else because it, it it doesn't feel the exact same as Mandalorian. But with Dave Filoni, Dave Filoni has been entrenched in Star Wars for the past oh god decade and a half now. Dave Filoni did Clone Wars, he did Rebels, and now he's working on live action stuff. And that's really kind of the cool thing about it is that we get to see some of the stuff that he worked on in these cartoons, come to fruition in live action, which I am all about because I love these cartoons. They are brilliant. But we get to see, with the flashbacks in episode two, we get to see them humanize Boba Fett, but not in a ridiculous way. We, We get to see him interacting with the Tusken Raiders and really become friends with them and eventually become part of the tribe and that is such a cool thing to witness because it's not just about um him being friends with them he goes out of his way to gain their trust he helps them stop a a sand train he he teaches them how a to long do, speeder a long speeder um he teaches them <laughs> we get to see boba fett's school of driving because <laughs> he teaches the sand people the, the Tuscan raiders how to use swoop bikes, how to use speeder bikes. Absolutely amazing stuff. And Tamura Morrison 
is is having you can tell he's having the time of his life doing this stuff and then we get to see that we got to see the scene where he gets the swoop bikes and it is just one of the most badass things I've seen in Star Wars. You know, and honestly, like, what I'm loving about this, you touched on the fact that it's not Jedi-centric. Yeah. What I'm loving about this is that we're starting to see the different cultures, the different religious practices, the different tenets, if you will, the different um, way that they interact with one another. And seeing that particularly out of Tusken Raiders and knowing that there is different tribes of yeah. Tusken Raiders is a beautiful thing to witness. I agree. I agree. And to me, and I'm going to be honest with you, I feel like there is a touch of influence from Star Trek in that. Because one of the key things about Star Trek is all the different alien cultures they come across and how vast and how different they all are. And that's the type of thing we're now seeing in Star Wars. Even with Mandalorian, we get to see Mando go to all these different planets and meet all these different people and how different they are and that's not something the movies the the original star wars movies or the prequels or the sequels really got to explore upon yeah and it's great because it happens so organically now i'm going to mention something nick now this folks don't come at me i'm just a fan watching this i'm just doing a little stirring the pot of fan fiction if you will remember the scene where they defeat the long speeder and he's talking up they're talking about the spice. Yeah. So I I gasped at that and I looked at Nick and he's like, What, what, what? And I said, no, 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 hang on, hang on, just let it play out and I'll I'll bring it up later. So he controls the spice, controls the galaxy. Does that mean that Dune and Star Wars take place in the same galaxy? Is it possible? Well, and and there's the thing, like Dune a hundred percent had influence on the original Star Wars. Like, Spike, and maybe that's their nod. Well, and, and that's the thing. is like Spike, This isn't the first time Spice has been brought up. When we meet Han Solo in A New Hope, Jabba's after him because he dropped his Spice cargo. And in and Spice Spice is essentially the same thing in Star Wars that it is in Dune. It, it's it's used to make, make the ships go boom, boom. Um, <laughs> but, like, that's that's the thing. And we, we get to see... When, when they take out that train, we get to see the Pike from Castle, who are the ones that run the Castle Mines where the spice is mined. So it's all really interesting. I, I really, really love this episode. I cannot wait to see more of it. I cannot. I am, I am amazed at Timur Morrison. I really am. Because I did not realize how good of an actor he is. And the level of intensity that he is putting into this performance, frankly, is award worthy. Yeah, I, and we saw like so many other influences too uh, in there, like the the dream sequence or the yep. the uh, peyote lizard. As the we peyote came, lizard, as we came to call him, uh, and he, him going on that journey, and it's like, wow, that looks very much like uh, Chichala's journey yeah, it, it in, was, in Black Panther. It but, was okay. very reminiscent of of the uh, the journey that T'Challa made in Black Panther. And the cool thing about that is that is clearly some uh, a, a, a rite of passage for the Tuscans because that's how they get their Gaddafi sticks. Yeah, I gave you a gift. Snort the peyote lizard. Wait, what? <laughs> so somebody online, somebody online said, I, I can't remember her name, but she said that she thought Boba Fett was getting like a cute little Disney pet. And then it took a hard left. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I didn't even know where that was going when I saw that, and then it just <laughs> runs up his nose. I'm like, oh my god. Oh wow. <laughs> oh man. But honestly, Tamara Morrison, I I did not if somebody had asked me at, ten years ago that if they made a Boba Fett TV series that I would have confidence that Tamara Morrison would be able to carry the show by himself. I mean, he's not by himself. Uh, Ming-Na Wen is fantastic as well, but Tamara Morrison is is something else. And he's brilliant and just amazing. So our recommendation, folks, if you have not yet seen The Book of Boba Fett and you are a Disney Plus subscriber, do check it out. Before we sign off, Nick, remind the listeners how they can get a hold of us. Well, John, they can reach us on Twitter at the area 51 h uh, we've just opened up a TikTok account as well, also the Area 51H. And also check out our Facebook group, the Area 51 and a half. We always love to hear from you. Uh, please, uh, if you go to our Facebook page or join the group, please let us know what your favorite Sidney Poitier movie is, your favorite Betty White moment, and what you think of uh, the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, absolutely. What was that? Uh, there's a knock at the door. I'll go oh, see. Okay. Just make sure we don't have any dead air, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. John is just getting up to check the door, see who's at the door. What was it? Um, just a minute. Um, i got to open it up. Okay. Uh, Looks like a letter. Okay. Uh, it says, To all employees of Area 51 and a half, in regards to the security alarm you recently heard, nothing is wrong, but we're working on it. What? what? Thank you.